be doing that. And then this morning, you know, we just want to take a minute to to pray. You know, it's uh, 21 years from 9-11. 21? Yeah, 21 years. Sorry, I'm trying to do my math in my head. It's pretty sad, isn't it? Yeah, so can you believe it happened? That uh, Just uh, another amazing thing. It just seems like only a few years ago. And to say 20 years is uh, 21 years, pretty, pretty far gone, isn't it? Yeah, I... I remember the old church we were at at the time, our old church. We were, the guy was a machine, used machine, uh, you know, uh, machine shop salesman, or he owned a used machine business. So if somebody got out of business or upgraded the machine, you buy their old one, put their new one in, and then sell the other one. And he had the, a property right next to the church. And uh, as soon as 9-11 hit, it just the business dropped off. And after... Uh, a month, nothing was going on. I don't know how it all worked out. I just asked the guy, I said, are you interested in selling? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I got to. I don't have any money. Nothing's coming in. So we got this screaming deal on uh, on the property. And, of course, you know, with church financing, it takes forever. So it was like about three or four months by the time we're ready to wrap it up. And he goes, oh, the contract's ending in two weeks. If you don't, if you don't fulfill the contract, I'm taking it off because I want the property business to start coming back a little bit, and I, I, I've always wanted that property. So I remember I called the uh, Evangelical Christian Credit Union in uh, Fullerton, and they said, "Oh, we can't get it done in time." So I called. I go, you know, and and Pastor Tom was out on a missionary trip when all this was going on. So, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to call Costa Mesa and see if they'll just loan us some money for a few weeks. And sure enough, I call, I'm, I'm just calling out of the blue, right? Tell him who I am. And then, you know, he says, okay, wait a minute, I gotta talk to the guy at the board and how much do you want? Okay, and it was under 100,000 bucks, I think. It was a great deal. And uh, anyway, and he goes, hold, oh, let me get a call. And like 20 minutes later, I get a call back. Okay, there's a check in the office waiting for you. I mean, <laughs> you know, we're talking 100,000 bucks or something like that, literally, you know, over the phone. It was pretty awesome, wasn't it? I mean, I'll never forget that. I, I just, you know, and sure enough, we went through and everything. And Anyway, that's the story of my 9-11, uh, which is probably one of the more positive ones, right? But uh, let's go before the Lord, and we'll uh, pray for those that have had their lives turned upside down because of it, some right side up. But let's do that now. Father, we do come before you in prayer, and uh, on this anniversary of... Um, it was just a horrific day, Lord, and we know it affected so many people throughout our nation and uh, their families. And, uh, you, you know, this is a very solemn day for them. Uh, we uh, know that um, it's just difficult for them to comprehend, probably even 21 years on this side of an event. Uh, the pains are still probably very real to them. And... Uh, very strong, particular on this day, and, and we, we hold them up. We, we ask through what the terrorists and evil people had planned for evil, Lord, that you would turn it to good, and many of those would come to faith or have come to faith and, or, or would continue to come to you, Lord, um, uh, you know, just seeking out you and, uh, Lord, you giving them the comfort and the healing that they so desperately need and the love and and all that comes from being uh, your child, Lord. And so we do pray you do miraculous, as you have, uh, continue to do so through particularly those people that, you know, were um, in the middle of that trauma, no matter where they were, 
New York or uh, at the Pentagon or in that field in um, Pennsylvania, Lord, um, you, you know, you just do that great work through them. And we thank you for the, the blessings that you've poured out to us in this country, Lord, even though we certainly don't deserve them, Father, um, but we are still grateful for them. And now this morning, Lord, as we look into your word, as we look into resurrection, uh, you know, one of the foundation stones of our salvation, uh, may you just give us insight to what you want to say to us here, Father. So move by your spirit in our hearts and our midst, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've moved through this book of Corinthians uh, and covered so many topics, uh, so many things. And the last topic we're going to cover is resurrection. And the chapter's so long, we will take um, uh, two weeks to, to look at it. We'll do the first half today and the second half. And then chapter 16 is just uh, talks about uh, you know tithing, giving in the church, some important things. Then he just gives some final plans and exhortations, and we'll finish up chapter 16 so just a couple more weeks in the book here. But again, uh, this morning we're going to look at why is resurrection so important? Um, you know, sometimes we just think about that. We kind of take it for granted. We kind of just know it's there. But, um, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about it. And don't we want to know what it looks like, what, how it's going to happen, what uh, the body is going to be like, what's the resurrection body? And in this chapter we get, you know, um, some information from that end. We learn some things that, you know, really aren't found any other place in Scripture, um, or not very many places in Scripture on a few of them. So, again, um, great chapter, and uh, maybe the most important chapter in the book, if you want to deem it so. All right, so verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also, which you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he starts out with, you know, the cornerstone. Okay, I came, uh, I preached the gospel, and again, that's just the, the, the good news. That's what gospel means, is good news. And, right, I have given it to you, and, and you believed. So, I, you know, let's start out with the basics. I came into Corinth, preached the word, you believed it, and, uh, you know, um, and then he kind of says, unless you really didn't believe in it, but it, it's kind of, um, you know, I'm sure there was some in the, you know, that probably attended, just like in many churches today, maybe that, you know, uh, maybe have never really made a commitment there, but I think it's more like, you know, um, he says that in the sense that, you know, not that you didn't believe, but that you did believe. And the word just escapes me right now. But anyway, the bottom line is, he said, I came, I preached the word, you believed it. And what you need to do and what we need to do is stand firm in it. Be planted on the solid rock. And he tells us to hold fast onto it. You know, I don't think I need to tell us this, but I think you know, we need to be reminded, at least I do, you know, salvation is valuable. Don't treat it any differently. Uh, again, it, it has to be precious beyond compare. When we think of salvation, it, it just has to, um, again, be, 
valuable and, and precious beyond compare to anything else. Or else, what's the point? Then people start running around, well, it, you know, uh, Dave Johnston always used to say at Calvary, uh, Santa Cruz, you know, what do you have, your get-out-of-jail-free card? Is that what he used to say? <laughs> or, you know, you have uh, fire insurance just in case, you know, it might be all true? You know, you, you can't approach it that way. It, it, it is valuable, and you can't treat it, and it's, you know, again, precious beyond compare. It, it just really is. And she said, so stand in it. You heard it. You believed it. Now make sure you stand firm in it. There's always those voices that want us to pull away from that, right? And, and we just have to fight them on a daily basis. Whether the, Probably the, the hardest one for us as believers is just to don't be so into it, right? Okay, you can go to church and, you know, believe in Jesus and all that, but you don't have to be fanatical about it, right? You don't have to go to church on Wednesday night and read your Bible every day and, you know, pray and, and, and give to the church. I mean, five bucks in the offering plate going by. That's what everybody does. What, do you, what is this whole thing about giving, you know, or, or you know, going out, um, you know, and witnessing to people and ha passing out tracts or, you know, on and on and on right? You know, just don't get so crazy about it. That's one of the biggest problems is that, you know, people wanting us to just to dial it down. They just want us to dial it down, not making it valuable, not making it precious, not making it important. And it just becomes something like, well, you have, you know, your fire insurance, like you have fire insurance on your house or whatever like that, you know, car insurance, just in case something happens. It's not that. Hold fast. You know, uh, it's important. You believed, you received, now live and walk in it. And just remember how precious it really is. And then he goes on to say, For I delivered to you, uh, verse 3, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and, he was, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, again, um, this is a church that's been around for a while. You know, Paul spent 18 uh, months there in Corinth. And, uh, you know, the church has been going on for some time. It seems like kind of funny to go back to the basic elementary, basic tenets of the faith, right? Um, resurrection. Um, but we'll see, he has to repeat something fundamental uh, why he has to in a bit. He'll, he'll tell us why or we'll find out why. But again, he just reminds them that the gospel was given to you wasn't the gospel of Paul. It wasn't, you know, my idea and my plan. Um, you know, when you, you, if you've talked to any, you know, uh, Orthodox Jew, Jewish people, you know, that really believe in, in Judaism, not just you know, that's not their national identity as being a Jew, but somebody that really believes in the Torah and all, and all that. You know, um, I was talking to a Jewish guy when I was over in Israel one time as one of the, uh, the guides, and, and, you know, I don't know how we got talking about Paul, and he goes, what a smart rabbi, right? Nobody really, you know, you're, 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 Preaching, you're moving, you know, uh, uh, I forgot the word he used, but you're, you know, you're doing all that. And what's the big hang up for people uh, to come, you know, into Judaism, being a, con a convert out of, you know, non-Judaism, circumcision. What a smart guy. He got rid of it. 
that hold back, you know, what a lot of people would never want to do. And that, you know, he goes on to say, you know, he's just a slick rabbi because he knew what, you know, what to do that would appeal to people. And the one thing that they wouldn't want to do was that. And so, you know, it, it's not that, certainly. You know, I, I, I'm sharing what was passed along to me. It was something that I was told as well. And I like that because you know what? It hasn't changed to this very day, right? Didn't somebody tell you? Didn't somebody pass along their faith to you? I mean, that's just how it works, right? We just pass it along. We pass along. Now, yes, you know, um, whether it's a, a large crowd or a one-on-one or anywhere in between, you know, we're just passing along with what we receive, the gospel we received. And uh, it's that simple, it really is. It's that simple. And we always have our testimonies to share, which, you know, you could try to outsmart people and have good answers for all the questions they might have. But I think the biggest impact always on a person's life is, is uh, that you're sharing the gospel with is your own testimony. How the Lord changed your heart and life. That, that just can't be dismissed or discounted, right? It just, it can't. It's there. It's who you are now. I once was this, and now I'm this. And um, we pass that along. We continue to pass that along. There was a, a story I read about this ophthalmologist um, who was big into cataract surgeries. And so, you know, he would have, uh, you know, an eye chart, obviously, and a screen up the people to read, you know, and then after the cataract surgery, have them come back in to check their vision. And on one of the slides um, would be, it says, uh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And so, you know, as a patient was now getting their vision back without glasses or without some other hindrance where they could actually read, you know, he'd come in, okay, let's say how you're doing. And and then he'd pull it up. Okay, read this and, and now read this. God has a wonderful plan for your life. And so, okay, read it. And the person would say, God has a wonderful plan for my life, you know, life. And, uh, you know, that would just bring out this great, you know, witness, you know, now that they can see. And it was just a great open door that this ophthalmologist did uh, in Texas, as a matter of fact, in Dallas. And, um, uh, you know, I thought, what a great witness that is. Just passing along what he's received. I once was blind, now I see, and this is why. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's simple things like that that we just share in our faith, share what's been passed along. And again, um, don't get hung up when they say, well, why do you do, why do you do, you know, it's just, we, we do um, what, Scripture tells us. It's not based on what a denomination tells me or what I learned growing up or, or this or that. You know, it, it's he instituted the church. He instituted these things, and we just do what our Lord says. And we just pass them along, pass them along what he did, pass them along what he has us doing. And it's just, um, you know, the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection uh, uh of the Messiah has long been foretold in Scripture, right? I mean, this is nothing new. Because as a matter of fact, I, you know, I personally, I think a lot of people do, trace it back to, you know, the very beginning. Uh, when Adam and Eve are, are removed from the garden, uh, you know, one of the things the Lord says to them is a promise that, you know, the serpent's going to bite your heel, but you're going you're gonna to smash him, right? You're going to take over. And they knew that what 
the serpent had deceived Eve in, eventually he would be crushed. Yeah, it's going to affect you, but I'm going to bring the one that's going to crush, crush him. And I, you know, I look back then and talking about the, the coming of the Messiah and the salvation, and then uh, again, all um, the scriptures that talk about uh, the prophets, the Psalms, and there's just so many of them that talk about you know, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah or of Jesus. And it's, you know, it's just nothing new. I'm telling you what, you what you've already heard, what has been passed along, what we've been a part of, um, that he, he died, he was buried, and then he rose again from the Scripture. And then he'll tell us what happened at the resurrection, verse 5, and that he passed, and I'm sorry, and that he was seen by Cephas, or, or Peter, then by the twelve, Verse 6 says, After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Verse 7 says, After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. So uh, again, he's just going down after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, who saw it? Who was a part of that? Well, first you have Peter, and of course we know that Peter had come to Corinth. I remember way back in chapter 1, many, many months ago now, you know, uh, they would say, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas or Peter, I'm of Apollos, no, I'm of Jesus, and remember all that. So he had been there, they had connected with him, he had spent time in Corinth, and so he's one of them, you know, and he met with him privately, and again, we probably know why, Uh, we don't hear the story directly, but we know that Peter would deny Christ, right? And then Jesus told him, uh, you know, uh, well, Satan asked to sift him. And he says, but I've prayed for you. And, you know, uh, when you've come back, strengthen your brothers. And so uh, Jesus obviously spoke to, um, you know, Peter in a special way, restoring him because he was going to be used greatly by by the Lord in establishing the church, particularly the the Jewish church. And um, so he met with him. You know, and we've talked about this a lot, and, uh, and you know, restoring and encourage him. And then it says, by the 12, um, we know about the meetings in the upper room, uh, that he met with them over a couple of, um, a couple of uh, weekends that he was there. And, of course, we know from the gospel stories that the 500 who also saw him, and um, Paul says, you can, a lot of them are still alive. You could go ask them. And uh, so he, he just li- lists, you know, a, a handful here of people who had seen Jesus resurrected alive. And, uh, you know, even Paul will have seen him uh, in a little bit. We'll talk about it. But j- just think about this. I know o- over the years, probably most of us have been on jury duty, although Jury duty is kind of funny anymore because who goes on jury duty? They don't prosecute anybody. So jury duty in Santa Cruz County is like make a phone call every day and nope, you're not needed. Nope, you're not needed. Nope, not you're not needed because I don't think they prosecute anybody anymore. But uh, anyway, let's leave that aside. But, uh, you know, just if you've been on a case before in the past, I, I know I have been on a few. Uh, you know, how many witnesses does it take to you, for you to convince that this person you know, broke that law or committed those crimes or whatever it might be. You know, if you have a, a, a person standing up and said, yeah, I saw him do it or her do it. I saw this would happen and they describe the whole story. I mean, chances are you're going to be like me. You're going to say guilty, <laughs> right? 
right? You have a, a solid witness who saw everything and is explaining everything that they saw, and it describes how they broke the law or create, uh, committed that crime, and you would say guilty. Now, if you had two, you know, it would be a slam dunk, right? Now, I know the Bible talks about bringing two witnesses you know, to establish something. But in our court system, really one witness can establish something. And so the point is, if you had two and you were in Santa Cruz County Courthouse up there, um, it would be a slam dunk. You know, you had three or four, you know, why even go to trial? You might as well just commit guilty because everybody's just going to say the same thing, right? And Paul just lists so many more than that, so many more times that. And you can go up and talk to them. They've seen it. They've seen him. And then, you know, we also see that he, he went and saw James, his brother, uh, and then went back to all the apostles again, probably referring to when he was carried up into to heaven in the beginning of Acts there. But, you know, he meets his, his brother James and then the apostles again. And the point is, there were so many witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. So I received it. I passed it along to you. He's died. He was buried. He resurrected. And when he resurrected, here are the witnesses. Here's a boatload of them. Uh, go talk to any that you wish. And then finally he says, then last of all, he was seen uh, by me also as, one, as by one born out of due time. Verse 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly that they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, uh, whether I, it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. So he talks about all these people and then Paul throws himself in here. And I was also another one. I, I'm an apostle as well. I was sent out. And again, remember, we've talked about this, I don't know how many times, but, you know, there are the apostles and then there's the apostles. <laughs> you know, the letter A, capital A, talks about the 12, um, and you could throw Paul in there as one of the, the 12th one if you want. Um, I, I think that that's how I look at it. And then there's many apostles in the sense that they're just sent out one, but there's one sent out from Jesus, and Paul was one of those. But he never really felt like one. You know, in a sense, he always had this thing in the back of his mind that, man, I did and caused so much trouble and saw so many people, you know, in prison, probably put to death, families broken up, lives ruined. I mean, you know, you can read what he did in Acts chapter 8. Uh, it has quite a bit of stuff that he did. Uh, and, you know, he just never really thought that, you know, uh, that he should be listed among them. But I am, you know. But at the end, this is the God's calling on my life. And again, it's hard for him to think of himself you know, as anything or above anybody else. But he wanted to say, what I heard, what I passed along to you, what I heard, you know, I, I saw the risen Jesus. He's the one that commissioned me. He's the one that told me to go out and reach the Gentiles. And even though I don't feel like one, even though I, there's a lot of reasons why I shouldn't be one in, in my estimation, um, that's just his calling in my life. I, you know, it took me quite a few years to receive this as well. 
um, you know, that the Lord called me into being a pastor. I just, I just didn't think I, I was qualified for a, a number of reasons and just thought, you know, I, I'm, I'm the one guy that probably shouldn't be. And, and maybe you felt that way too about certain things the Lord's called you to. I've just, but, but there's so many people that could do this better or this, or, you know, I, I, you know, I carry with me this baggage or this or that. And, and uh, you, know, you know, so uh, and we can't ever shrink back from the calling of God in our life. We may not feel qualified. We might think there's better people or we might think we're not, you know, really should be included in, in, in this group because certainly I'm not in that group. You know, those, those are the apostles. I'm a B-postle or whatever, you know. I'm a C-postle. But uh, no, I, you know, that was God's calling on my life. And so Paul says, I did it. And Paul, what Paul needed to know and remember and what we need to remember, it's always about God's grace working in our lives. That's what it's all about. You know, by the grace of God, verse 10 says, I am what I am. You know, it's God's grace. You're right. You don't deserve anything. And sometimes we try to put things out this way. I deserve it. I deserve, you know, uh, you know, I don't deserve it. Yeah, you don't deserve it. We don't deserve anything. And, and if a person ever thinks they do deserve something, boy, they're barking up the wrong tree because if they get what they deserve, they're going to be greatly disappointed. Uh, you know, right? If we get what we deserve, that, that's it. And so I love the humble approach to this. And yet it wasn't to the point where it was false humility in the sense, well, I'm just not going to do it because all this. No, I'm going to trust what Jesus said and walk in faith. Okay, this is the calling you have on me. I'm going to do it. And, you know, and I'm going to do it with all my might. And it's just God's grace working in us. I like this quote. I think it's a good one. It says, the grace that saves us also changes us. Grace changed Paul. You can't receive the grace of God without being changed by it. The changes don't come all at once, and the changes are not complete until we, pa- uh, until we pass to the next life, but we are indeed changed. And that is so true, and that's one of the points that he's working out here and talking about the resurrection, you know, the impact that it has on us, it, it, you know, and all that the resurrection does, a seal of approval on what Jesus said, and all the things that he taught, and all the things that he did, you know, this is God's way of saying, listen, I, I'm doing something very unique, and as we'll see here in a little bit, he's going to be the first one so that everybody can be drawn uh, to the Father through him. Everything can be drawn through and all that he did, and it's by his grace. And the bottom line of all this is that you heard the gospel, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and you believed. Then there's verse 12. (laughs) So now if Christ, okay, we got all that background, right? He laid that whole foundation here. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? (laughs) So obviously somebody in the Corinthian church or a segment of the Corinthian church uh, didn't believe in a personal resurrection. Now, it seems again that they believe that, that Jesus rose from the grave, but nobody else will. 
And um, the, the Corinthian church, or at least some of them in the Corinthian church, had succumbed to this wrong doctrine. It was out of place, and they allowed wrong attitudes to creep in, and, and it seems like they started to run with this. We just, um, and I think we understand how far some in the Corinthian church has strayed. You know, we've been reading all this for weeks and weeks and weeks. We, you know, they got this wrong. Well, they did this. They let, you know, a guy sleeping with his stepmother. They, you know, were doing this during their services. They were doing this during communion and all that. But, you know, this is really, this is, you know, come on, the resurrection, that nobody's going to be resurrected. Um, Again, Paul reminded them to stick with simple truths of the scripture that they had received. Um, This is one of the problems, is that people can stray from the simplicity of the word and they start splitting hairs. And they they become critical about what everybody uh, does and what they do. They love to criticize others. They like to get everything down to a very sharp point, right? And as uh, has been said before, you know, a person can become this porcupine, right? Many fine points, but impossible to get close to, right? And, and that's exactly what goes on. You, you allow these little doctrines to come in. You allow this little thinking to come in. It works through your ego and through your price, uh, through your pride, I should say. And pretty soon, you know, uh, you just become a big critic. And I think maybe some of us have seen ourselves do that before and certainly... You know, I, I've gone down that road uh, more times than I want to care to admit on, on different things. But, and then you see them come in the church. Somebody that's always critical of something. They're critical of the government. They're critical of the president. They're critical of the church. They're critical of these people. They're critical of that group. All they do is have a criticism uh, for, for everything. And, and those are the people you kind of have to put the radar on. Ooh, 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 ooh. You know, something's not quite right there. They start to think that one of the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, criticism, you know, right? It's, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Criticism, uh, you know, and, you know, they part of the church going to heaven, but they really just don't bear any good fruit. And, um, you know, again, there's just a huge part of the body of Christ people that are going to be in heaven that maybe in our finer points don't think really, uh, you know, that they probably should be there. Um, and I think we're going to be shocked by that. Um, and people want to exclude this from them and that group from them. We throw out everybody in that particular group or this or that. And, you know, um, just because of all that criticism. But it got to the point now where some of them were thinking that they weren't even raised from the dead. You know, I, I just don't want to see uh, uh, our church or us ever become a bunch of, uh, you know, porcupines that we need to love each other and, um, uh, and continue to show grace and patience and love for one another because in grace and in love, our lives were changed and God showed us much grace and love and we just need to pass that along as well. And um, he goes back to this. Now, if you are teaching that Jesus, you know, or, or people don't get resurrected at, at, out of, um, don't get resurrected from the dead, and maybe Jesus did, I, you know, I, it seems the Corinthian church didn't deny Jesus' resurrection. They just denied 
our resurrection, right? And, uh, you, you know, what are people going to think out of that if you're given that message? You know, they're going to think you've gone the way of, of you know, uh, of the Greek philosophy of that day or the very liberal Jewish teaching of the day, right? Remember when Paul went to, to Athens and he stood out there and preached the gospel and he was going out there. And then when he started talking about resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, you know, that's when he lost the crowd, right? They all just kind of, oh, resurrection. Okay, this guy, poop off his rocker, right? And they started going away and not, not much happened there. Or, or, you know, this was also part of the Sadducees, right? We were dealing with Jesus. Those were the polit- more of the political leaders of the nation, but they didn't believe in any resurrection. So maybe some of that influence got in there as well. But, you know, Paul shows that the resurrection of Jesus not only proves, you know, uh, uh, his own resurrection, but also the principle of resurrection. You, you, you're missing the whole point when you just deny that. And now if you say, and you continue on that thinking, that there is no resurrection, well, where does that line of thinking actually go? And he says in verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And again, these few that were in Corinth, um, uh, again, if... If they continue to go down there, then, you know, if you have to think, if, if you're not going to be resurrected, then that whole line just throws it out with Jesus as well. Then he's not going to be resurrected. And, and it's, there's no resurrection at all. And then if Jesus hasn't been resurrected, then you throw up, you're, you're throwing out the whole gospel. You know, it's just you, you can't keep going in these steps and doing this and making a fine point and distinction this and saying that. What hope is there for people? That's what he's going to say in verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found, uh, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did, uh, uh, I'm sorry, raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. In fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep or, or died in Christ have perished. And if in, uh, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. So he goes on to say, listen, if you start thinking there's no resurrection, then you have to throw that, you have to throw Jesus in that loop as well. And if Jesus hasn't resurrected, then those that have died in faith in, in, with Jesus, they don't get a new resurrected body. And again, uh, if he didn't rise from the dead, then he has no power over death, uh, no power to, to defeat uh, Satan. Uh, you know, death house now has power over Jesus, and he's not God. And if Jesus is not God, he can't complete the sacrifice for all of our sins, right? And if Jesus can't complete have the complete sacrifice for our sins, then our sins aren't completely paid for before God, and we don't go to heaven. And, uh, and I'm still stuck in my sins. Uh, the bottom line, if Jesus is not written, risen, then he's not able to save. You, you, you can't go down that path. There is nothing there 
that is going to, as a matter of fact, if you can go down that path, then what's the purpose of being a Christian? I mean, what's the whole point of living godly, holy lives and, and all this if it's just, you know, for something you get for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years or something like that? You know, what, what's, what happens after you die? You're not answering and addressing any of those questions. And it would seem silly to do all this um, for, you know, uh, a life that we're just going to end in, in a short period of time. You know, it's going to be eat, eat, drink, and be merry, right? That's, that's the, the outlook it's going to be. What, what's the point of being a Christian? That thinking can't be entertained because it leads to failure on God and failure on behalf of Jesus to do anything for us. But, verse 20 says, Now Christ is risen from the dead, and he has become the firstfruits of all who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ we shall all be made alive. And so he goes on to say now what the point and what the purpose and how important it is that Jesus has been written from the dead and why he's resurrected first. Why didn't anybody else get resurrected before Jesus? There was no resurrection body because he was the perfect uh, Lamb of God. He was the sinless one. He was going to be the first, the primary, and everybody's going to follow after him. And what, you know, again, there's always a question well, what happened to people who died before Jesus was resurrected into this, in this body? Well, Jesus explains that in Luke chapter 16. He decides, he explains that there is, you know, two places in the earth, and one place was a place of comfort uh, where Abraham was there, and, uh, you know, the Lazarus, the poor man uh, that begged outside the rich man's gate was there, and it was, it was a good time, it was great, and then there was this great divide between them that nobody could cross, and uh, there was the rich man, and he was just, you know, he could see over the good times that were happening there. And, and he wanted just somebody to dip, and Lazarus, he was asking, dip their finger in some water over there and just put it on my tongue. Now, I don't know about you, but that would not satisfy my thirst in the least, right? But that would be an incredible relief, in his opinion, just to have that. That just tells you what it's like. And then, of course, we know once Jesus resurrected, then all those that died in Christ now, obviously, are going to be with him. He cleared that out, and one day we're going to have these new resurrection bodies. And uh, he, he, he describes it this way, why Jesus was resurrected first. He, he calls it the first fruits of those fallen asleep. And we know that festival in the Old Testament, you know, they would bring in... Uh, you, you obviously, if they agrarian society, so they had crops, they had you know animals and so forth. And so, if you grew corn, let's say, which they probably didn't, let's say wheat, um, you know, you had wheat out there, and it's starting to come in the first ripe wheats. You would take you know a, a, a bunch of that, and you would bring it to the Lord. You're offering the first, you know, rather than take first what 
you want, you give to him first. That was the whole idea of the, you know, that comes from you, Lord. You acknowledge that. It comes from you. You know, I've gotten this. You get the first portion because I realize, you know, I, I might be giving you just a portion of what I'm getting here, but I'm acknowledging the fact that, uh, you know, I'm giving you 10%, let's say, of it, but I'm keeping 90% of it when, when actuality, 100% of it comes from you. And they would do that. And it would also mean that there's more to come. That's the idea behind the first fruits. I'm just bringing you the second, but let me tell you, when, and at the end of harvest, there's going to be more coming in. And they would understand that. And so we know that you know, the first fruits really points to, in a, uh, in a lot of ways, why Jesus was resurrected first. And, and then he tells us that death came from Adam. You know, death falls on us who are related to Adam by natural birth, you know. And, and maybe, you know, you, you've thought this, and maybe people have said this to you or something like that. You say, well, it doesn't seem fair. I mean, I didn't commit the sin in the garden. I wasn't Eve. I didn't get tempted by the, the, the serpent. I'm not Adam. I just didn't deliberately uh, choose to ignore God. Why do I have to pay uh, for all that? You know, why do I have to have this, all the repercussions that came to them that day, why do they have to fall on me? And so people would, would say that. I didn't sin. Why do I have to be born, born a sinner? It wasn't my choice. Well, in, in one sense, you know, you can understand the argument there. And of course, the, the reality of it is we would all have failed, right? If you were there instead of Adam, you would have failed. If I was there instead of Adam, I would have failed. If you were there instead of Eve, you would have failed. We would all fail. But he, he doesn't, you know, enter into that. What he says is, listen, yeah, listen, if sin can come into the world through one man, then the salvation from that sin also is going to come in through one man who is Jesus. Because of the disobedience of one man, sin entered the world. But because of the obedience of one man, Jesus, the resurrection will come and all those related to him by spiritual birth. So we're related to Adam by natural birth. And so we have this sinful nature. But we can also be related to Jesus who obeyed the Father and was resurrected and therefore, we're going to be resurrected because we have in him that same spiritual birth. That's why it's so important when Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that a person must be born again. You, you have to be to be resurrected and have this resurrection body and, and, you know, with Jesus and spend that eternity with him. You have to be just like you have a natural birth uh, through Adam and that sinful nature, well, you need to have this spiritual birth uh, through what Jesus did on the cross so that we, you know, can be with him and we can have all that he has and have his righteousness and the eternity and, and the promises that are, are given to those, you know, who, who love God and who believe in Jesus. And that's why it's so important that you must be born again. And I don't know, maybe you guys remember, is it the 70s when born again became kind of a big thing? Uh, remember those stickers, I'm born again on the cars? Yeah. Is it the 70s? I can't remember. Yeah, that's what I remember. Um, one way. Yeah, one way and b born again. And, it, you know, it was just kind of a 
topic in society, um, a lot of bumper stickers, it was a big thing, which was, which was pretty cool. But anyway, you know, it, it, it just shows the in, in importance of it. It just really is. You know, now we're related to him by the spiritual birth. Okay, how does that work? Okay, I'm related to him. I know sin came by one man, so uh, just in the same way salvation came from one man. One man's disobedience came sin. One man's obedience came salvation. Okay, and then, you know, he was the first resurrected from the dead because he's the, the first fruit. Okay, how does the rest of it work out? Well, he tells us here, verse 23, but each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of uh, kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So he gives us this progression of how things are going to work out here. And of course, in a few weeks, Carl's going to explain some of that as we you know, get some prophecy update there. But again, um, you know, uh, Jesus was the first to be resurrected. Then believers uh, following at his coming will have that resurrected body as well. And again, resurrection just isn't living again. We receive this new body it's based on our old body in some sense, but it's perfectly suited for eternity. Um, you know, we see some of that when Jesus was resurrected, when he had just appeared into the room, when the disciples were meeting in that upper room after his death, and he just shows up. You know, doors were locked. They were feared to be, they were, the, the, his disciples and all the women, everybody that was there, um, we're afraid they were going to be next on the Roman hit list and the Jewish leaders hit list. So they locked the doors. They're all kind of in there. And then Jesus is just there. And they're like freaking out, right? Oh, no. Jesus is like, no, just touch me, right? I'm, I'm here. I'm really here. So he could appear in a room, pass through solid objects, and yet remain solid, if you would, in a sense. And to the point where he could even eat. So... I don't know what that looks like. I heard somebody say it was like, uh, it was very lame, but I think it's kind of funny. He said it's kind of like, uh, I was going to say Star Wars, but uh, Star Trek, you know, when they go to the transporter and they, you know, molecules and then they're all reassembled over here. I don't know. You know, I thought it was kind of funny. But, you know, in some sense, you know, he can pass through solid objects. He is solid, you know, like, like flesh and blood. He can eat. And so, you know, we, we, we know a little bit of that. And we, but the bottom line is, just as this body is suited for our atmosphere, it's suited for our environment, you know, everything is, is, is made for this, um, so will the body be, the resurrected body will be perfectly suited for eternity. And Jesus' resurrection puts all the Father's plans into motion, Right? And then Paul starts to refer to the thousand-year reign of Jesus. We call that the millennial reign because a millennial is a thousand years, right? Thousand-year reign uh, uh, of Jesus. And uh, he talks about that in Revelation chapters 20, you know, the first six or so verses, right? It's described there. And after, uh, there, after that thousand years, there will be a final Satan 
inspired rebellion, and that's the last part of Revelation chapter 20, well, verses 7 through 10, if you would, and which Jesus uh, will crush him and finally put, and finally and forever put all enemies under his feet, like it says here, right? In, in verse 25. He's eventually going to do that. So the first 10 or so verses in, in Revelation 20 describe all that. And then, at the right time, death will be no more, and all the enemies of the Father will be gone. So that's how it's going to work. Everybody's got its order. Jesus is first, and afterward, those are a Christ that is coming. And then at the end, he's going, to ha- he's going to rule and he's going to put all authority under him. And the final authority that he's going to put under him or conquer or not be around is going to be death. Death will be no more. Man, what a day that's going to be when we're standing there in Revelation chapter 20, you know, seeing all that being crushed and gone and death is gone. All the evil people that want to rule and all the demon and devil-inspired people that want to, you know, bring all that down, and we see Jesus and see the victory over all that. None of it has a play or influence on the world anymore. You know, it's just hard to imagine that, you know, everybody you talk to, you know, is perfect in every way. You know, you know, I, I, I just, you can't even begin to describe it because it just, it doesn't fit in this world, right? It just doesn't really fit in the environment we're in. You know, we think, oh, it'd be great to have your doors unlocked and, uh, you know, nobody ever steal anything. Everybody always be nice to you. Everybody being perfectly honest and perfectly, you know, truthful and perfect in all these things. And it goes on. It just, it's so out of place for where we are right now. But once we have these eternal bodies and we live in eternity and the one of many houses that Jesus said he went to go prepare for us, whatever that looks like in eternity, that body will be perfectly suited for that environment. And what a day that will be. What a day that will be. And let's finish this up. And it says here, um, uh, verse 27, For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Now, he says, so he's going to do this. He's going to put all things under his feet, and all things are going to be under him. Jesus is going to do all that, and everything is going to be subject to him. And those are not just uh, believers, not just uh, the bride of Christ, but also everybody else. You know, we know one day everybody will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Whether you believed it in life or not, everybody's going to acknowledge His power, His dominion, what He is, what He's done. It's all going to be plain, plain to see one day. Everybody will, will see that very clearly. Uh, those that believed in this life and those that didn't. And that will all be happening, all be subject um, to him. But then he says, you know, it seems a little bit out of place maybe, uh, uh, that, you know, again, that the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him. And, you know, a lot of people, um, if you have your Jehovah Witnesses that come to your door, um, 
once and then they don't come back for about four years. They find out you're a Christian or whatever until another person takes over the area. But, uh, you know, one of the things they like to talk about uh, saying that Trinity is not there is they'll, they'll take you to this verse, actually. But, but that's not what it's saying here. Don't think of Jesus as being anything less than equal in all parts of the triune God. Not at all. No, he does have his part. He does have his part, and his part is to, you know, bring everything under submission that it might be under uh, uh, the head, the Father. That doesn't mean he is any less God. That doesn't mean his position is less and who he is in the Trinity is any less, but it's different than the Father. The Son is different than the Father, just as the Holy Spirit is different than the Son and different than the Father, and and you can go around that that circle a, a whole lot of time. It doesn't mean he's any less doesn't mean that he's not who he is in, in the triune part. doesn't mean he's is not equal to them. But he is going to give all that authority to God. And then the complete and absolute supremacy of God will be you know, owned and acknowledged by all. It will. Everybody will completely see that. And it's going to be very clear that God is in all, uh, maybe in all and in all, or in all. It, it, he's just going to be above all. Everybody's going to see that. We're going to see it. Non-believers are going to see it. That's the whole point, is that everybody will acknowledge that. And what we try to do today, as we talked about earlier, is pass that along. Because you see, if you wait to acknowledge that when it's hitting you in the face in eternity after death, then you go straight to go, do not pass, straight to hell, do not pass go, do not collect your 200 bucks. I mean, you just got that one-way ticket going there. And what we try to tell him is that, you know, you're going to acknowledge this one day. Do it now. He loves you now. He's going to give you these promises of a new body. He promises to be with you today in in peace and give you uh, love and comfort and satisfaction. He'll he'll give you a, a purpose and and again, see us through uh, everything in this life. He just closer than anybody closer can be because he chooses to dwell in his people. And again, what a great thing that, you know, everything's going to be put under God. Everybody will see that and we'll be a part of that one day. And then we'll talk about a little bit more about denying the resurrection and then even more about the glorious resurrection body next week when we finish up the chapter. All right, well, let's pray. Father, we do, again, thank you for this time, Lord, as we hit part one of the resurrection. So important that we remember these things, and they're so fundamental, and we've known about them and heard about them, but it's always so good to review them and go over and stand firm in them. Uh, you know, it's, it's an essential part of our faith, and we can't ever dismiss that, and uh, nor do we want to water it down, nor do we want to put it aside, and certainly we don't want to be like some in the Corinthian church who just you know, well, it didn't line up with what people thought and, you know, the, the scholars maybe have thought or the supposed philosophers or wise people of that day. Um, and so they wanted to do it for whatever reason that is, whether to line up with them or, uh, or, or whatever the, their point was. It just, it just knocks everything down. It's just not at all right. And it, it uh, really just... As a slap in the face to you, Father, it just um, of all your plans and all that you said you would do and um, all that you prophesied, all that you foretold to us. And so, Lord, may we always stand firm in that, in the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Father. We want to 
proclaim that because it gives us hope and it shows us that you will conquer death one day. Yes, you're going to con- conquer every power and authority, but the, the last one you're going you're to uh, be over or get rid of is death. And um, Lord, we, we can't even begin to understand how powerful and wonderful that is, Lord. But uh, for what we can, Lord, it's just amazing that you will, you've conquered death, which seems like the thing we can't avoid or death and taxes, everybody said. And it certainly is true that you have beaten death and um, we can uh, take great hope in that and pass along that great hope of eternity and, and life after this when this body withers out and and dies, Father. May we continue to pass along that good news, the gospel of Jesus. And it's in His name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Amen, you guys. May the Lord...